0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Robin Owens, author of the book, My Faith in the Constitution is Whole, Barbara Jordan and the Politics of Scripture. How are you doing today, Professor? I'm doing fantastic. So good to be here. Thank you for having me, Deirdre. Thank you. I wonder if you could start off by telling us a few words about yourself and how you got started on this project. Okay. Uh, You know, the first thing I tell
1: people when I meet them, and I'll share that now, is that I'm from the great state of Connecticut. (laughs) I say that always to give honor to all my family and loved ones who are still in Connecticut, although I'm living in Los Angeles now, and I'm in Los Angeles teaching at a university here, Mount St. Mary's University, a small liberal arts university. And I teach in the religious studies department as a tenured professor and enjoying every single moment of it.
0: Great, how did you start this project? This project
1: started with my dissertation research. I was looking for a topic that encompassed my passions and my values. And so I started looking around for African-American women who made significant contributions uh, to history and who also were speakers. And then someone suggested Barbara Jordan. And I didn't know much about Barbara Jordan. So I began to look her up and I began to listen to some of her speeches. And I was fascinated by the power in her voice when she spoke. And I thought, now this is someone who I can spend some time doing research and looking into her speeches that will captivate my attention over a long period of time because I knew it was going to take a while to put this project together. And so now I'm a huge fan of Barbara Jordan, and I think she is unsung in history, and I would like to reintroduce her to everyone who, has, who hasn't heard from, about her recently or is just now being introduced to her.
0: Why is it so important for scholars to focus on um, politics and scripture combined? Oh, if, you're a, if you're a scholar of religion, I
1: think this area of scriptures and politics is often overlooked, and particularly in the ways that I talk about it in the book when I talk about this notion of signifying on scriptures. How scriptures are used in the political arena, as in Barbara Jordan's case, to fight against social injustice and for uh, social justice.
0: In chapter one, you talk about some very famous uh, speakers, uh, African-American women speakers. Tell us about Maria W. Stewart and Anna Julia Cooper and why you included them in your book.
1: Yes, and I love them. I mean, you know, just their stories and their life. I just really appreciate both um, Maria Stewart and Anna Julia Cooper. Now, I highlight them. They're 19th century women who were advocates for basically social justice of their time. They were abolitionists and they were for equal rights for all people and women. And they, each of them, each of them have very distinct early life experiences with the Bible um, that shaped who they are and what they did. And so when they began their work speaking out for the rights of women and for the rights of um, African Americans at the time, they, they took the Bible and used the Bible in their speeches to further their cause. But it stemmed out of a particular notion of being called to do this work, but not called to preach in the church, not preach the Bible in the church to to nurture people's faith. It was to preach their, their political message of social justice in a broader community. And so it was this translation of taking the religion from the church into the public square, so to speak, but they used the Bible to do it. And something that I think is interesting about both of them and later with Barbara Jordan, but both of them, both Mariah Stewart and Anna Julia Cooper, each had a moment that really shifted their idea and this sense of this calling. And they used the Bible to talk about that.
0: You talk about life-defining moments and scriptural practices. After um, Ms. Stewart lost her husband, Did that send her into a different arena? And after um, the other lady, Anna Julia Cooper, she lost her husband. Were these losses connected with how they viewed the world? I believe so,
1: because as human beings, we have to be impacted by losses. In one way or another, one shape or another, we're gonna be, as human beings, impacted by the loss. So it depends on the extent of it for them in their time, although it was heartbreaking at the time, it also gave them a sense of liberation because now they were on their own and they were able to do the work that they were called to do. They had a a, a sort of a freedom, not that they would choose, but it was thrust upon them. And so they began to do the work um, after those significant losses.
0: The women during that time period who spoke out, they were considered out of bound. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, in the 19th century, uh, women weren't supposed to speak in public. And to think about that, women in general, and now you have African-American women who are speaking out in public. It was just unheard of. But there were some people who were doing it, and these were two of them. And they just took their chances and were received. Their messages were received, which is why we know about them today.
0: You know, I want to focus back on Anna Julia Cooper. She experienced the aftermath of the Civil War. And she noticed the, you know, expressions of the people. How did she she connect the scripture to the question, where will people go after the Civil War? Uh, well, her connection was primarily
1: to how people would live and work, not necessarily what they would actually do. She was calling for a whole reform of what's going to happen with people now that the, the war is over and the, um, the consequences were there for the people. She, her call was to we now have to do better and serve these people.
0: Chapter two, we're now looking at Barbara Jordan. Tell us about her early life in the fifth ward of Houston. Yes, Barbara Jordan. Just a
1: thought, when I say her name, it makes me smile just thinking about her. So you're right, she grew up in the fifth ward of Houston, um, low income, poverty stricken area. Uh, her father was a Baptist minister. He was called to baptist the ministry in the Baptist church when she was a young girl, and she was very connected to her family, uh, her sisters, and in particular, though, her mother, her father, her sisters, but in particular, she was very close to her grandfather, and he was a, a mentor in her life, and he was her first teacher, her theological teacher of sorts, and he had, I think, a bigger impression on her than her the teaching she got from the church and her other members of the family because he encouraged her to be different. He encouraged her to be herself and to think for herself. So um, he held a special place in her heart and he played a uh, pivotal role in her development.
0: Phyllis Weekly School. What does she notice there about the divisions that exist among uh, African-Americans during that time period? And I think that was the 50s? It was earlier.
1: uh, Yeah, I would have to double check the the exact dates. But at that that time, when she was at Phyllis Wheatley High School, there was a division of color, not just race, but color, because it was primarily all African-Americans at the high school. And there was a division of people based on, this is according to Barbara Jordan, Based on their skin tone. And she could see that there were favoritism given to students who were lighter skin. And because she was a darker skin, she had a darker skin complexion, she felt like she would not have the opportunities that the other lighter skinned students would have based on how she saw the, the faculty and the staff treating those students.
0: The speaking club how did that propel her into her greatness?
1: Yeah. You know, because she didn't in her mind, she said, well, I can't I can't make it on my looks. So how can I be successful in high school? And she said, all right, it's going to have to rely on my talent. And then she recalled her years growing up in the Baptist church where she would speak. She would memorize little passages and speak in front of the audience at church. And she remembered that they gave her really positive responses to that. So she had a sense that she had that natural ability. So she thought that was going to be her way out. She was going to speak her way to have success. She was going to join the debate team and do that. And to win, at that time, there was a coveted award at her high school, the Girl of the Year Award. And she wanted to, that was her prize. (laughs) That was her goal. She had her, her, her mind on that prize. And she set out to do it. And she actually did it. She overcame what she thought were those colorism barriers and um, used her natural abilities to speak and, and got better and trained. And in the end, she won the award, the Girl of the Year Award.
0: Now, let's fast forward to her college years. Who was really a, a instrumental person in those college years that she looked upon? Yeah, she went to... Boston University Law School and
1: while she was at because she's from Houston but now she's you know in Boston at the law school and now this is the fall of 1952 and she was just fascinated fascinated by the Dean of the Chapel Howard Thurman who was became a renowned philosopher theologian mystic and so he was the Dean of the Chapel and he would Um, she would go to the chapel and listen to his sermons and she was so captivated by the sermons she would go back and preach the exact sermon to her roommates (laughs) that's how influenced she was by him because she just thought um, his way of understanding God was more uh, let's say more uh, open and expressive than it was in her Baptist church growing up so Howard Thurman played a significant role in her college years there.
0: Now she came back uh, to Houston after law school but tell us about her work experience in Boston that propelled her to move.
1: Yes and I want to I want to back up and say a little bit more about Howard Thurman. So if I forget bring me back to that question you just mentioned okay all right All right so Howard Thurman, it impacted her life so much. And the reason why I want to highlight this here, I want everybody to to notice this. She was so impacted that this was like a, a calling. She experienced a calling is what I argue while she was listening to those sermons of Howard Thurman and such that she wanted to express her ministry in a particular way. And so she said, okay, I guess this, how I do this is now to change my study from law to studying theology so she could preach because she wanted to preach like him and she called back to Houston to talk to her family with this exciting news that she was going to switch her focus from from law to theology because she wanted to preach and her father said oh that's great then you could be a missionary like your grandmother was and for her The idea of being a missionary was not what she had in mind. So in that case, the missionaries were people who helped and served in the church, but they did not preach and it was her intent to preach. And so she just said, well, I don't want to do that. I'll just continue with law in her mind. She didn't go with um, switching her her emphasis to theology. But I want to stress, I think that was a pivotal moment in her life. That was a calling to express her ministry. And we'll see this later in her life. What she did was she transferred that same ministry, but she used the avenue of law and politics. But that was a crucial moment there in Boston.
0: Thank you for bringing that to our attention, because that's so important. When she finished law school, tell us about her road, her path. Yeah so then she, she went back to Houston because she
1: decided she would be more effective in Houston than in Boston and she would be around people that she knew in a community and so she set up her own law practice right there on the dining room table of her family's home and she just began to do the work and then she felt sort of like a restlessness she wanted to do more And at that time, there was a political campaign, Kennedy and Johnson. And she thought, well, she was going to join the Kennedy campaign and just volunteer and help out. So that way she combined her law experience because she was doing her law practice. And now this was her first foot into the political arena.
0: Now, how did she get the connections with the Democratic Party in that volunteer
1: role? Well, she started. She just she went on her own to volunteer, and once she got there, she started receiving um, recognition about her her speaking ability. Uh, whenever there was time for someone to give a speech, she started to begin to get opportunities to speak. And then there was one pivotal moment where the speaker, the main speaker, didn't show up, and she had an opportunity than to speak, and they could see her ability, and that got their attention. And she started, that was the beginning of her becoming a rising star in the Democratic Party, and that local Democratic Party.
0: Now, she ran twice. Tell us about those experiences and what that was leading her towards.
1: Yeah, she ran and she just couldn't win. She just couldn't win. She was close, and she couldn't make the strides that she needed to make. And then there was a redistricting. So as a result of a Supreme Court decision, they reassigned the district, which allowed her to have the people from her community to vote in a way that she then won the race and then began her tenure in the Texas State Senate. But it took, it took some effort, and it took some trials, but she made it.
0: Now, looking at some of the nuclear episodes in her life, what would you call uh, uh, some of the nuclear episodes you talk about in your book?
1: Yes, I have some, some um, language to talk about how she, how she moved from one phase of her life to another. And I give uh, sort of a framework to think about that. And so in this, this period of life that we're talking about in her rise to Texas, to the Texas State Senate, I say she learned about her past and she developed what I call an epistemology of experience, which was a tur- she was turning her experience into a criterion of knowledge because that's what she used when she was doing it in her speeches, she was building on her experience and it developed a particular knowledge for her. So in this area of of life in this early stages of her political career, uh, she developed what I call this epistemology of
0: experience. Did she use any type of interpretative agency like you describe in your book? She did, she began to later on, not in those
1: early, those early years Uh, She tried to, like most of us when we start something new, she tried to uh, sort of not mimic, but almost mimic what had been done in the past. But then she realized, I have to create my own message and do it my own way. And that way she began to express her interpretive agency, which she learned from her grandfather because he had told her growing up, don't rely on what other people are doing chart your own path, do it your own way. And he taught her, he read Bible passages to her, but he also read other um, quotes and um, important philosophies that he wanted her to know. And so that taught her to uh, interpret text on your own. Don't rely on others. So in that regard, he, he helped her develop what I call a sense of interpretive agency.
0: Now, in Chapter 3, you talk about the 1987 address to the U.S. Senate Committee of Robert Bork, and she used political information, but she also used scripture. How did you analyze that? Yes. And when I say scripture here for,
1: for her, I'm talking about how she uses the U.S. Constitution as American scripture and she uses it in a way that both Maria Stewart and Anna Julia Cooper who we talked about from the 19th century when they were given their messages in their public address they were using the Bible in a very specific way to put across their message it wasn't just to encourage the faith of the people it was really to persuade a particular message now fast forward to Barbara Jordan she does a similar thing, but she uses the U.S. Constitution as an American scripture in the way that the 19th century used the Bible in their speeches.
0: Was the Constitution important to uh, Miss Jordan?
1: It was, for her, I would say, if not the only, one of the most important documents and um yeah, one of the most important documents and texts of her life. Uh, side note: After she passed, they found that she had been, or the the person, one of the persons that spoke at her funeral, mentioned that she carried a pocket-sized version of the U.S. Constitution with her at all times, which suggests the significance of it for her.
0: The impeachment process of President Nixon, a lot of people remember her quote. Tell us about how you analyzed what she was doing and saying during that time period.
1: Yes, which is reflects the title of, of the book, of my book, My Faith in the Constitution is Whole, which are her words from that speech. And for people who remember her, that's one of the, the phrases they remember or they remember um her emphasis on the Constitution. And so in that speech, she was, she was not for, she was all for the impeachment of President Nixon at the time. However, she was very strategic in the way she didn't, the way she presented that information. She didn't come out and say, well, I'm against, I'm against this. She said, let's look at the Constitution. And she strategically broke down all the impeachment criteria from the constitution and laid it side by side with President Nixon's actions. And she still never said in her speech, uh, he violated the constitution. She just placed the information side by side, very strategically. So people could think through it and reason through it themselves. And she did it in a way with such passion and um, such a compelling voice that it impacted the decision. Um, And it also got the attention of people all over the country. Up until this point, lots of people didn't know about Barbara Jordan. But back then, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine now maybe for some people. Back then, television was a time when there was only a few channels and people sat at home in front of the TV at particular times because that was the time you would, you would be able to watch certain shows. So C-SPAN, uh, for the first time, published the hearing, and it was at a time when most Americans were home watching TV. So then she had this huge audience. It just turned out that she had this huge audience, and all these people received that message from her about her faith in the Constitution. And she was saying that Nixon was violating the Constitution, but she did it in a way that was so strategic, she didn't even have to come out and say it directly. And what's fascinating to me, it just blew the people's minds such that she received tons of letters and messages from people all over the country afterwards. And the thing that's most striking to me is there's a there was a man in Houston who was so Um, impacted by that speech, that he took the time and money to put up billboards all over Houston to say, and this is the quote from the billboard, thank you, Barbara Jordan, for teaching us the Constitution. That's the kind of impact she had from that speech.
0: Absolutely. Chapter four, what about the social activism? How did she work silently and actively in regards to her activism. Yes,
1: yeah, she was so she was so uh, strategic and influenced by all that we've been talking about. And so in her speeches, she always included something about some reference to herself as an African-American woman from her experience as an African-American woman she always included that and she always included aspects of the constitution and she tied them in together to say this is the reason why we should be doing whatever that whatever the the situation was at the time um she always used this structure that combined her experience and the constitution in a way to sort of pretend just like it was just kind of social conviction but it was really always for Um, racial justice or gender equity.
0: What is the overall message you would want your readers to leave with once they complete your book? I love that question.
1: I want them to look at Barbara Jordan and look at the way she did her work. She did her work in a way that her grandfather encouraged her to do in her own way, based on her natural abilities and the things that she cared about, those things that mattered to her, her values. And she overcame the struggles. For example, we talked about when she was in high school, that color barrier. She overcame that and did the work from who she truly was and lived out this sense of calling. Even that, she couldn't pursue it in the way she wanted to, so she used law as an avenue. So I want people to look at her life and say, she did it in her way, and she's an amazing person in history that we should all know about. But for each of us, for everyone who reads the book, I hope it encourages, inspires, and motivates them and you to think about yourself, to do your work in your way, because that's what she did. Use your gifts, your natural abilities, use your values, those things that really matter to you, your passions, because she was passionate about speaking, and then take those things and use them in service like she did. In service to someone, some cause, something beyond yourself. That's what I want people to take away when they read this book.
0: Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Now, can you tell us what is the next project you'll be working on?
1: Yes, I am just about finished with my next book. And it is, interestingly enough, as I just left off, it's about how to have more meaning and purpose in your work and life. And it's based on a system that I created called the Purpose-Based Decision-Making System. And this is a system that will help the reader always make decisions that keeps them in alignment with their purpose so they have fulfillment in their life and work and so they always have meaning and joy. I have that in my life and now I'm sharing that with others. So I'm really excited about that and that'll be coming out before the end of this year.
0: Well, we'll be looking forward to that book. Again, we've been talking with Professor Robin Owens and the book is My Faith in the Constitution is Whole. Barbara Jordan, and the Politics of Scripture. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to be here. Appreciate it.